Hello and welcome to Mentor Dialogue, episode number 255. Today is the 5th of November, 2017, and this interview is with Philip Ullman, who's the Chief Energizer, a.k.a. CEO of Corden Group, an £850 million family-owned international company offering integrated services including recruitment, security, cleaning and technical electrical services. In this interview, we discuss how Philip has led the company from being a commercial company to a social enterprise, bringing along his co-shareholders, board of directors, managers and the entire workforce. He's on a mission to encourage broader uptake of social enterprise as a sustainable model. It's an entirely fascinating journey. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. I am very excited to have my next guest on. He is a, a man who is on a mission, and uh, as you know, I always like to have man, men on a mission, or people on a mission, to be more fair. Uh, Philip Ullman, so you are the uh, chief uh, organizer, uh, energizer, if you will, of um, Cordon Group, and I had the great chance to meet you, and I, I've read about a lot of the things you've been doing, so I was super excited to share what you're up to in this uh, transformation of the Corden Group. So in your own words, Philip, uh, tell me who you are. And as I always like to ask, what's your mindset? Okay, Philip Pullman's the name. I'm the chief energizer, to be precise, of the Corden Group. My role is to energize, by which I mean it's to enable others to thrive and to grow. It's not about me. It's about giving to others. Uh, if I make decisions, I'll get them wrong. But if I can create an environment where others can thrive, um, we can succeed. And, and, and that's, that's my role. Um, been with the Corden Group for about 20 years. Um, the group has grown to a, a turnover of 850 million. We placed 125,000 people last year. So we have scale. We are international. We have operations in the UK, all over Europe and Australia, and we're in recruitment and facility services. And how would you describe your mindset, Philip? My mindset, Frederick Leloux talks about teal, and that works for me, is that authentic, um, fundamentally, it's a a move from I to we. Over the last couple of years, I've changed my approach. My mindset is probably described as a we mindset. We teal. We teal. (laughs) We teal. Yes, so um, to use the words that Alou uses, um, three fundamental breakthroughs in Teal. One is autonomy, self-management. People have to be given the scope to, to, and a space to, to develop themselves rather than being dictated to hierarchy goes. It's all about people having space. Um, the second breakthrough is wholeness. We want people to bring their whole self to work. We don't want to crush them. Again, we need uh, to give them space. And the final big change is purpose. It's not about money. It's not about uh, creating as much in the way of assets. It's about purpose meaning, which is affecting other people's lives and changing other people's lives. 
What's remarkable at a certain level is this is the kind of stuff that one hears from consultants. You know, this is the way it should be, and they write a book, and of course uh, you've got Lalou's book uh, as a basis, and yet you are actually implementing this. And so, I mean, Philip, I'm, I mean, that's really why I wanted to come visit, visit with you, and, and I'll be putting in the show notes uh, references to uh, Frédéric Lalou's book and all this. But what what is the... Let's say that you, sir. You know, as I understand your history, this was founded by your parents, as I understand it. Yes. And then you went and often did your own thing, and then you came back twenty years ago and yes. took it over. Uh, and then you made a transformation of the organization in terms of obviously, you know, the type of growth dynamic. And and I heard about the the fact that you went through a lot of mergers and acquisitions in order yes. to grow the business. But then all of a sudden, the crash comes, and you decide that maybe it's better just to have organic growth. So that's how, as I understand, where we are today. But what, in the process, in an organic growth model, made you decide to do this last uh, big transformation you've been onto about the social enterprise? I came across it, the idea of social enterprise, a couple of years ago, uh, where Deloitte mentioned it to us. We looked at a big opportunity in the public sector, and Deloitte said, why don't you do it as a social enterprise? I didn't know what social enterprise was, didn't have a clue, so I read about it and got to understand it. And the more I read, the more I felt I discovered a treasure. That's the way it felt to me. And I continue to uncover the immense power of social enterprise. I genuinely believe it can change the world. How How do you describe social enterprise? Traditionally, social enterprise was one of two forms of enterprise. It was either a small enterprise financed by the state or it was a small enterprise financed by philanthropy. To me, neither of those are sustainable because you can't rely on the state funding forever. The states have run out of money, we all know. And philanthropies, you're dependent on the generosity of of individuals. With social enterprise, you don't need that. You're sustainable. You actually build a model that generates the wealth to use for the social impact. So it's social impact, but sustainable social impact. So you're not having to go back and beg to anyone else. And to me, that deals with lots of issues. If we could get schools, hospitals to be Mm -hmm. self-financing, it solves a lot of problems. It, it, It ends this kind of them and us where you've got a regulator and you've got a an organization that are at loggerheads. It almost integrates the two. Well, one of the challenges with that is that maybe they're good on the social side, but they're not so good on the enterprise side. Because whether it's government or schools or hospitals, rare are the profiles uh, of doctors, for example, that are, are truly with great business acumen. I agree. But to me, we need a sustainable model. Uh, it's not just the social enterprise models historically that are not sustainable. I think the, the state itself isn't sustainable. The, the command and control model is failing. We look at debt in America, we look at debt here. Fundamentally, we're at breaking point. So that model isn't working because decision-making is too remote from the coalface. And uh, the same is true in, 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 in the listed market, the, the private sector. What's happened is power has been taken by the elite, until the point where they have extreme power. And, and we have inequality resulting from that as well. So neither of those models are sustainable. Social enterprise, to me, does work. 
And but what what we have to do is is almost evolve and change those entrepreneurial organisations as we are doing into mm-hmm. the social. But I agree with you, doctors. Funny enough, I speak to a lot of doctors, and they said, "Philip, we need you to help mm-hmm. us in this space." Mm-hmm. They they've got the domain expertise. Mm-hmm. We need to give them the entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. and you put the entrepreneurial skills with domain expertise. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it, by the way, just to be clear. Oh, wow. I'm doing it in in, in healthcare. So. Um, we're looking, we're working with uh, Nightingale Hamilton, which is a care home where they're top in their domain. They really are brilliant. I mean, they've just gone viral on a, a, an intergenerational project whereby they have in, the, in their home where the average age is 90, they've got a kindergarten next door. Oh, and oh and it's, it's beautiful and, and, and it's gone viral. So, so I'm giving them the entrepreneurial IT skills and, and we're looking to create a system that deals with care outside hospitals, mm-hmm. at the home, and in the care home. Now, just, this is like the, the, I was seeing in the newspaper the other day, the Airbnb of hospitals in the NHS? The, yeah, that, that, that's the kind of concept. But the point I wanted to make was this. When you use the skills that you've acquired in the, in the entrepreneurial world and apply them mm-hmm. in this, the opportunities are immense because you haven't had people right. that have done that before. So, so what we found straight away was America had blown $30 billion on technology in healthcare, got it completely wrong. We've blown 10 million pounds, billion pounds. But now there is a solution. It's open air mm-hmm. EHR, which is a platform whereby healthcare records are stored in a semantic language, which is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And, if, and what you need in order to save lives is you need the data to be not just in, in, a, in a semantic level, so, so you have meaning within the data. So if everybody, whether they're in hospital or whether they're at home or in a care home, are sitting on the same semantic language, you suddenly have one language and you can suddenly save lives. Now, that should have happened a long time ago in, in America and here, but private enterprise doesn't get there because they're focused solely on making money. So what they do is end up with a vendor lock-in. You end up with a system mm-hmm. that, that t- the data is owned by the, the, the software house. Mm-hmm. The state is scared and hasn't got the skills to, to build systems. So we are combining the two and we're working with Open Air with the people that developed this standard, which, by the way, is, has been used in Moscow and Russia. So they're ahead of us because... Mm-hmm. It's a different type of regime. They have actually recognised they need this single language. They're ahead. We need to catch up now, but we're building this platform in open air. But the point I'm making is you're absolutely right. You need to combine the entrepreneurial skills of a business person with the domain expertise of the, of, of the social sector. That's really cool. So what, is, what does it concretely mean for the Quadrant Group? You have 52,000, as I understand, employees. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And doing £850 million pounds in revenues. What, what, what kinds of things have you had to do in order to be an official social enterprise? Or, or do you think being an official is an incorrect term? Now, we've made three changes, in the, effectively, in the Constitution. Um, the first change is we are, we've capped the dividends for the family. That was the first major change. Um, we said there were three classes of share. We've capped the dividend at one million per class. That was to get the family on board. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, that's an absolute cap, which means any growth, it's a big number, but the business is large, but it's a fair number. So we, we cap anything above that three can be reinvested for the sake of society. So at the moment, we've had to rearrange the company, so we're, we're doing something like 10, but 
within a couple of years we'll be doing 20. At 20 million, if the three which the family takes, you're left with 17. That's 17 for society, but it grows exponentially because that three is fixed. If the 20 becomes 30, that extra 10 goes to society. So, so that's the first major change. Once we've got enough to change our lives, the rest goes back to society, which is a dividend cap. The second change is a remuneration cap for my employees, for the, for the senior directors, and that's 20 to 1. So that's a, we cap the lowest paid times 20, um, which is what we're going to pay the top. And why did, why did you... Well, first of all, that brings up two things. Why 20? Is it 19 and a half? I think it's what Amazon has. Is it? And, and then uh, it does bear in mind what is the one as well. I mean, so you yes. need to look at both. Well, Drucker talked about 20 to 1. And the way he justified is it is one person should not be worth more than 20 others. To me, it's an arbitrary number, but, but why not? There's, there's no right and wrong answer. It's, it's got to be socially acceptable. And Corbyn was talking about 20 to 1. So I think it's not my number, it's a number that I've inherited, but it, but it, it feels right and, and it's becoming accepted by consensus. Um, the one is local, so it's interesting. I was in Germany with uh, our German team, and they love this, by the way, in Germany. They love the concept of social enterprise, and we've got a young, millennial, Generation Z team that, that are bowled over. But, but they, the lowest paid there is a higher number, something like 25,000 euros. So there it would be 500,000 euros. Here, something like 20,000 pounds, 400,000 pounds. So what I've been testing is the idea that £400,000 per annum or €500,000 is enough to change your life. And everybody I've spoken to, is, it is. It's enough to, to pay it's the mortgage off. It's a good number. But it's also enough to, to feel good about yourself. But once you've got to that number, you give back. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my mindset. I've had to honour there's some historical agreements we've got within the group which are bigger than that. We are honouring those, as you'd expect me yeah. to. Well, there's a, when you do these kinds of things, you have to deal with legacy situations, and that's just part of a company with a long history. You've been around for a half a century, yes. and so you inevitably have things which are hard to move around, which is one of the part of the interest I had, as opposed to like a startup that says, well, we want to be a social enterprise, we want to save the world, and that they go off and have the wonderful optimism and youth, and, and also a blank sheet. You have not had that. Absolutely right. Uh, we're, funnily enough, we're looking at, at a startup as well, which, which I can explain. But, but to change the world, you need a platform. And fortunately, we have that platform. Um, we've grown it to a significant size. And, and to me, what changes the world is a combination of technology and people. But you need a scalable platform. And lots of good ideas people have. But unless they've got the track record to prove that they can change things, that they're not credible. And, 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 but but fortunately, I've had the opportunity to develop a large organisation, and, and we've been successful. And I genuinely believe we've only just begun. Now, with this paradigm shift to social enterprise, we'll start to, to, to take the, the opportunity to new heights. Um, and generally, I believe over time, we'll change the world. All right, so, Philip, the first thing you said you did is that you looked at the family and the $1 million cap, yes. $1 million pound cap. Then the second thing is you said there's a 20 to 1 for the internal. What was the third thing? That's the big one. Thank you for reminding me. You're doing well. The, the, the third one is the profit share. So uh, those family first, 
kind of community second, which is the, 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 the board. The big one is profit share, and that's the hardest one in my business. So what has to happen is that we have to share the profits with people. Why? Because you don't get productivity improvements unless people see a return. So that's hard in my business because we employ thousands for Amazon, for Tesco's, where, where our margins are very slim, and therefore we are only influencers. I don't tell Amazon or Tesco what to pay the worker or how to remunerate them. So, but we have influence. And, and that's the key thing, and that's why the opportunity is so exciting, is we deal with most of the large organisations in the UK, and start, uh, we, we deal with. So if we can start to influence them and start to encourage them to look at profit share, you then start to increase productivity. Everybody's aligned, and, you need, and, and that's what profit share does. So to me, the, 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 the profit share is the third change and the toughest one to do. All right, so... You say alignment. The challenge with getting shareholders or stakeholders who are not necessarily under your remit. In other words, you can't just tell them what to do, as you just said. Same with necessarily the men of your family, you know, who are not necessarily, you can't just dictate to everybody, your brothers and sisters, you do this because they're their own people. Uh, And just like third-party suppliers, they're their own people run by other entrepreneurs. How do you get that alignment? Because the challenge is that they have different objectives and they have different backgrounds and, and they're different people. In terms of the family, fortunately, social enterprise is my blood. There's a picture on the wall of my, my grandfather. He lived his life for his family. He led his community and he led uh, uh, judiciary in France. He, he also a, did his duty for his country, and he and he did his duty for his country effectively. So, so he always gave back. I was brought up in a home where my mother spent every afternoon visiting the elderly. Uh, she made their lives. Many times, people have told me those visits. My mum changed their life. My my father was always committed to the family. Always had communal positions. Was always giving back. So it's in my blood. So the, the initial family transition was doable because we all are focused on giving. But not easy, though. Still capitalist, and the capitalist mindset is, is different. So that was a hard journey, but we've made that journey, and we are aligned. So that, that was the first step, and, and that's happened, fortunately, and we've agreed the cap. Timing helped me as well, because that, you have to be fortunate. It's not... as You're completely realistic. People need to be persuaded, and timing helped me, so we, and we could do it because of the timing. But as you were saying before, mm. the, the hardest challenge are the stakeholders, you know, the Amazons of the world yes. who aren't under your dominion. And, and the reason why I asked yes. you the question, I'm thinking, well, for, you know, I want to get back to another point afterwards, but in, if people are listening to this and, and wanting to create a social enterprise and have that community and a network that believes... The challenge is bringing them on board and, and how do you approach them and how do you influence them to participate? It's, it can't be a Boolean yes or no. Correct. You're absolutely right. It can't be. And I've learned that lesson myself. If you try to force people with a Boolean, it doesn't work. No, you have to influence. You've got to. We have an expression in, in our religion, which is power is like water. If you share power, it's like sharing water in a cup. Everybody has less water. There's less power. But influence is like a fire. If you influence others... 
each flame ignites another flame. Love and, and that can grow exponentially. And finding enough water extinguishes flame. So it, it's, it's a, deep, a deeper metaphor, but genuinely influences the way. I don't want power, mm-hmm. I want influence. And, and fortunately, we touch so many different organisations, I have, all, have the opportunity to influence. And it's resonating, there's no question. I was with large organisations the last few days, some of the largest in the world, who are listening, who are actually saying, we recognise there's a need for change, and this is resonating. So by creating role models in a private sector, a private company can now do what we've done as long as they get the family on board. Right. But or, not or, a... or the stockholder. I mean, because yeah. it, it's relevant for other people, which is the point I want to get back to, which yeah. is that I, I may not have the luck of having two siblings or three siblings or whatever that I brought up the same parents who have that in, innately, if you will. But for most of us, that's the, our stockholders might be friends and family, or it might be a private equity company, or it might be a publicly traded company. I, I noticed in one article you say that you would not, you would go against the listing because of the short time frame regard that yeah, they have. Sure. But how, what kind of advice would you have about bringing on board your stockholders, more broadly speaking, if they're not your friends and family that you can dictate to? I think the power lies with the crowd. We live in an era where, where uh, social media can propagate messages exponentially. The crowd wants the change. There's no doubt about it. The elite don't. And the elite have, over, over time, taken more and more of the action. The crowd is fed up. And the crowd is much bigger in terms of numbers. So democracy favours the crowd. So, and the same will be true in, in a listed company. If the shareholders... Not the intermediaries, not the fund managers, not the professionals, but the shareholders express their view. And the law has to be changed to allow it. So in the UK, Section 172 of the Companies Act 2006 has to be changed. The moment the focus of directors is on the shareholders alone, that has to be uh, widened so there's responsibilities to all stakeholders. Once the law allows it, the crowd will do it using social media to mobilise people, and, and the, the crowd is there, and democracy will work, and if, if you want to change the way a company is operating, form a group. The Arab Spring is an example. These things do happen, and why can't the capitalist system be changed by the people that own the shares, the, the, the public? All right, so when we talk about the need for change, I think there's a, definitely a widespread feeling for that. If those are anyone who doesn't know that things are changing, they obviously have been living in a cave. So we, we all have, a, a, I think, a, no, a sort of an awareness that we need to change. Capitalism is, has issues, democracy has issues, but dictatorial uh, environments not exactly well viewed upon from the West. And yet, as you said, if you are, sometimes in Russia things are, improve much quicker because you do have that ability. But what I was going to get to was the why. Because in the end of the day, the why you want to change and, and then ultimately where you're going to go to, because you need to have an alignment on the ultimate objective with everybody. And that's hard when you have a bunch of cats that you're trying to herd. So I'd love for you to explain to us what is the mission or the purpose of Cordant and then think about how you make that happen. Okay, the why is... The place you start, you don't start with the how or the what, you start with the why. And our mission is to delight people. 
very simply, period. Delight people. We did a lot of work in this. It wasn't originally the mission, but that's where it is. It's not to make money. It's to delight people. Uh, now, people have said that's broad, but I think it works. So the mission is to delight people. What are the behaviours that we need to demonstrate to delight people? Uh, and I've formed three, which I, I think is, is profound and it works. The first thing is respect yourself. So if people respect themselves, they can contribute to society. If they haven't got self-respect, if they're not self-sufficient, if they're not working to support themselves, but unfortunately are having to take from others, I think that's demeaning for me. It, it's, it's people lack self-respect, they, they doubt themselves, and they can't contribute fully. So the first thing is respect yourself. The second stage is respect others. Once you've respected yourself, once you're confident in your own ability and you've taken responsibility, then give others the space, parents to child, employee, employer to employee. Give them the space to, to grow, to thrive. Don't crush them. Allow them to be whole. Uh, and that's the second behavioural change, respect others. And the third one is give of yourself. Give, which is the meaning. Delight others, give. And, and uh, once you respect yourself and you respect others, you've created an environment which enables us all to give back, which I think is the ultimate aim. So the, the, the mission, delight people, the behaviour is respect yourself, respect others, give of yourself. And then once, and that's not easy to achieve, by the way, with the, with the 45, 50,000 people, we have to get that behaviour accepted throughout. And a lot of my people are directed and supervised by Amazon, by Tesco, by, by the others. So I haven't got complete... Control. I have influence, but not control. So that's the challenge. Now, how do we propagate that, those behaviours? Because once we've got 45,000, 50,000 people behaving that way, that, that is powerful. And then if, if we do it, and others, I believe, will follow suit, the law changes, uh, Section 172 and equivalent. In America, by the way, I think there is already in some of the states uh, the right to, to take responsibility for stakeholders then I think big organisations, I think a big one will do it, whether it's Amazon or Tesco or, or one of these, or Google, one of them will make the transition. They'll do the same thing as we've done in the private sector. They will say, we are transitioning from a listed company to a, a social enterprise, not denying the shareholders' return, just capping it. Maybe the, the, the kick, which is the, the model the UK have developed, is 35% shareholders, 65% society. Again, to me, a sensible model. But I think that will happen. I think it will happen um, in a big listed company. And once that happens, I think it starts to grow exponentially. I want to circle back to a point which you made at the beginning about uh, being teal and this, this uh, idea of, that you have had of not having titles and, and flattening of hierarchy for a more agile, flatter society. Tell us about the... The, the process you went through to make that happen and, and sort of the, maybe uh, a story about the challenges that you had as along the way. So I, I can imagine that people do get attached to titles and to certain uh, privileges and it's not always easy. 100%. I have jettisoned my title, but with resistance from the others. I, I, I keep on telling the professional advisors and media advisors I'm the chief energizer, but they keep on sending out press releases. CEO this, the CEO and it's, I, Even though I've given them... Because as you say, we're attached to titles. We live in a society which is about status. 
to me, it's almost in, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, status is, is reputation, whereas we're, tr- we're trying to self-actualize and transcend that. So I, to, delight, so we're beyond that. But So the answer is, I have jettisoned my title, but the others within a team are still recognizing that they are dealing with organizations that haven't made the transition that we have. And therefore, they are... My CEO said to me, I can't not be a CEO, because if I went to... Amazon or Tesco or, or XPO, and I said, I'm the chief, the chief co- he's a coach, he's, he's a phenomenal coach, I'm the chief coach, they'll say, bye-bye, he's right, I, I'm not sure they will, by the way, but, but that's the perception, so again, it's a journey, and because you're in a network, you can't change faster than everyone else, um, but that said, the network also allows things to propagate in due course as well. So, but it's, it's, it has advantages, but also has, this, has disadvantages. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like the business card. You know, we're living in digital worlds. Do we need business cards anymore? Hell no. But if you don't have one, sometimes you're the bigger fool because the masses still need it, and so you have to accommodate as you move along. About being pragmatic, as yeah. you said. So, um, you, in this notion of a flatter hierarchy, uh, you have said that you would like to have as many people as possible reaching out to you just because you are the, the big Wooly Wooly doesn't mean that people at the lowest levels of the company, yeah. uh, hierarchies being what they are, can't have access to you. So I was interested about your approach to social media and, and how do you use social media to propagate your message and allow for this type of communication? We're learning. It's early stages. I had a go with social media myself, but found I didn't have the time to... to tweet, whatever it's called, every single day, because there's so much in my day, I just didn't have time to, to, to write messages, and, and, and I'm, I'm concise, I don't like writing long, long prose, it's not well, in But me. the good news about tweet, by the way, is it is only 140 characters, but, as some famous, uh, I think it was Irish uh, poet, said, if I had longer, I would have written shorter. Correct, it's, mu- it's, it's much harder, you're spot on, to write 150 characters is much, much tougher than to write... Two chapters. No doubts about it. And I didn't have the time to do it, but I recognise the importance of it. But, but no, it, it's the key. Social media is the key. And we are using advisors who, have well, who get the world. But I want to change the way recruitment operates. Social media is key. Uh, and we are working with world-class innovators that know how to use social media to change the way recruitment works it's it's the key to many of the changes. It's the network that's going to uh, change capitalism. It's going to change democracy. So critical, but but we're on a journey. We're not there yet. Yeah, and you know it's funny. You are in the business of hiring and placing individuals, and and so you you also have to practice what you preach because you are hiring people in your organisation, and and this notion of hiring for attitude. Um, how, how do you respond to that? And is that something that you have had to change in this process of moving towards a social enterprise? Because Explain what you mean by hiring. Hiring for attitude as opposed to competency. So the idea of someone who's got the desire to change, the desire to learn, as opposed to I'm really good at. That's exactly what I'm trying to achieve. So the way we've recruited until now is one of two methods. In in a market where um, there are plenty of candidates... uh, a supplier-driven market where the client controls. Unfortunately, it's almost a commodity and, and you don't treat the, the candidate as an individual. And when we're recruiting a 1,000 for Amazon, it, that's the way it is. We, we, we have to get the right number of people. And it can't be personal. 
there are other markets which are candidate-driven, where, where there's a shortage of candidates, where, by its nature, it does become more about the individual and you start building relationships. But my challenge is to move the whole market to the model whereby it's all about relationships. So that the candidate and his attitude, he's not just a, a warm body, he's not just a set of capabilities, he's, he's a person, he's an individual. And I'm trying to m- make him, allow him to lead a meaningful life. So and one, once that transition is made you've got a, a, a much more of a matchmaking service. Rather than one party dominating, you're trying to enable the candidate to live a meaningful life and the, the client to fulfil a meaningful role. You put the two together. And, and, but at the moment, uh, we're not able to treat people like individuals, which, 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 is, which is important. So a person isn't just a set of capabilities. They are... They are people, and, and we have to treat them as such. We're not there, but, but I'm certain with the technology. Remember, if you're recruiting a 1,000 for Amazon, you can't give everybody the time you can, you can give in a headhunt. But the technology can. If you get a technology and you start using big data and these kind of things to actually provide people information that allows them to take responsibility for themselves, they can start taking responsibility and, and, and start to make a difference. Yeah, so really it's funny, you, we're, especially in a services business where it really is about the service and therefore the interaction and therefore the personality and the relationship and that all gets back to this notion of social because that's what we are. So Philip, it's been great to having you on this uh, podcast. Uh, tell us how you would like anyone to follow what you're up to or connect with you in whatever way you prefer. Feel free to email directly, no intermediaries. P-H-I-L-L-I-P-U-L-L-M-A-N-N at Corden, C-O-R-D-A-N-T-G-R-O-U-P.com. And I can say you walk the talk because that's how I met you. Thank you so much for being on the show, fellow. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and my other blog posts on branding and digital on Mindset.com. That's Mindset with a Y, of course, where you can also sign up for my bi-weekly newsletter at Mindset.com forward slash subscribe if you like the show go ahead and click the handy facebook like button or share it out by your favorite media in the meantime come catch me on twitter at mdial or listen up for the next show now enjoy josh sax's finger paint oh fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray You mentioned in your lack of self-security Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form As long as you would feel warm Wrapped in canvas, hold me tightly Slowly we would paint a lover's portrait With all your favorite shades 
The ridges in our palms make colors blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care about the friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year hard rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.